This is part one of an interview I did with wrestling legend, Wade Chalice. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. Welcome to the show, wrestling legend, Penny extraordinaire, Wade Chalice. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you so much for taking time to do the show. I've been following your work for a long time. I'm more of a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy as my cornerstone art, if you will. But you and your cradles and their cradles, oh my, have helped me a ton in my journey here. So I thank you for that personally. Well, the cradles is probably, I have long arms, so I'm able to get away with them a little more than, you know, there's, there's different body types in, in martial arts as well as wrestling. And, and the job is to figure out your body type and then the technique that you want to pick up. A lot of young men watch sports, whether it's football, baseball, well, more, more, of, the, more of the combatives. And say, boy, I, you know, I watched Jordan Burroughs. Oh, God, I, I wish I could double leg like him. I'm going to learn a double leg. Well, if you're tall and skinny, you can forget the do- double leg. I can't. Uh, you know, so the problem is a lot of coaches don't realize that. So they don't direct their athletes in the, in the way they need to go. Basically, you have two body types. I mean, there's really probably 28 different body types. But let's just say there's two, which is one more than most people realize. There's the tall kid and there's the short kid. And the tall kid has three capabilities that the short kid doesn't have. He has reach, flexibility, and leverage. The short guy has power, speed, and strength. Now, there are techniques that lend themselves to power, speed, and strength. And there are techniques that if, you know, would have leverage, reach and length and you have to figure out who you are now gee i don't understand wade am i really tall or short in my weight class well every time you weigh in when you look to the guy who's standing next to you at weigh-ins are you taller than he is or shorter than he is duh there you go and that changes over time sometimes you get a growth spurt and no longer are you the short guy you're the tall guy yeah so you have to figure out who you are and then realize that there are certain techniques that work for the short guy that the tall guy can't get away with. In wrestling, short guys should be high crotchers, double leg, chop on top, uh, bar arm, half Nelson, and on the bottom stand-ups. See, the short guy only has this far to go on a stand-up. You know? Right. Yeah. The tall guy has this far to go. <laughs> So a tall guy, when he stand, tries to stand up on the bottom, he looks like a newborn fawn trying to stand up. It's, you know, he's all over the place, and he almost, 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 almost gets to his feet almost the time, every time, you know. And the coach always says, well, you, you got to try just a little harder. You'll get there, Johnny. You'll get there. And she's like, okay, coach. And then two years later, you got, you're almost there. What do you mean I'm almost there? You know, so – you know, short guys, again, they only have to go that far. On top, tall guys spiral ride, uh, cross face yeah. near cradles, near cradles, because they have long reach. They have, uh, you know, condor, you know, like eight foot wingspan. Yeah. And they can get their hands locked. Uh, and on their feet, ankle picks, low singles, swing singles. You don't, if you're tall, you don't want to go underneath the guy. If you're shooting in and he sprawls and you're underneath him, you're in trouble because you you need power there, and power is something you don't have. You have flexibility, reach, and leverage. And uh, so you have to figure out who you are and then realize there are certain techniques that benefit that particular skill set that you have. Kids don't realize that. Most coaches don't know that. 
to say, okay, when you're coaching wrestling, you boy, I mean, you got me started here already. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love it. Keep going. This is a magic for me. Coaches, when they go in the room, they should say, okay, uh, uh, you're tall, you're short, you get over there, you get over here, and divide the team up. You may have 60% of your kids over here and 40 over there or 70, 30 or whatever. doesn't matter what it is. And then you say, okay, we're going to go over takedowns today. And we're going to go over, uh, well, for you guys, we're going to do double legs, and here's how we I want it to drill. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. And you guys go over there and play with that a little bit. Now, over here, you guys are tall, so we're going to do this. Now, here, go try this. Okay. All right, now, everybody come together. All right, I'm going to blow the whistle. When I blow the whistle, you guys are doing swing singles. You guys are doing doubles. Right? Ready? Go, go, go. So you you divide your troops. And what coaches always do is they say, everyone's learning the double leg. You know, everyone's doing a swing single. Well, the swing single, the short guy doesn't have long enough arms to get around that leg to do a swing single. So what your coach, what you're doing as a coach is you're teaching your athletes how to lose. What? Yeah, that's you, you have to break you have to break it down. So okay, on the bottom, you guys, what we're gonna do is we're doing stand-ups. Great. Da, 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 da. Okay, you stay there for a second. Now you guys we're gonna do sit-outs, pushbacks, and cut throughs, you know, because you're short, you need tall, you can't get up. And you're gonna kill yourself trying to. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd say, okay, get on top of each other, ready? And the short guys are doing stand-ups, the tall guys are doing sit-outs and pushing back. Okay. And so you're you're maximizing your practice time where it's a functional practice time. Yeah. See, normally at the end of two hours, you spent one hour teaching the tall kids how to lose and the short kids how to win. And then the yeah. other half, you're teaching them how to lose and them yeah. how to win. So at the end of the day, what were you thinking, coach? Yeah. And they wonder why you struggle with these things. Interesting. So I've yeah. I've got a few more things. I'd like to say I'm probably the best thinker in wrestling. And I really believe I am. Now, whether that's true or not, I have some people that will support that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I like to jealous. And then we have people that ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Because they're jealous. I've spent my entire life breaking down the sport and analyzing do's and don'ts, what's best, what's not. And I always tell the kids, now. Don't take what I showed you and, and figure out a shortcut. I've already shortcutted the yeah. shortcut. Yeah. Okay. I've cut out all the fat. Yeah. You know, you have to do it this way. And uh, and I've had a lot of success coaching kids. Um, I mean, state champs, national champs, Olympians constantly. But it, and they go, where were you five years ago when I was going through this? Yeah. You know, and they just uh, all your martial arts. What makes martial arts so special and why the, the military line up to grab them, the special forces programs. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, you know I, I don't know if I ever had met a wrestler who was rang the bell at Bud's to be a Navy SEAL. It doesn't happen. Yeah. They don't know how to quit. You right. know, martial artists don't know how to quit. They may get knocked out in martial arts and they may get pinned in wrestling, but damn it, they won't quit. And uh, that's what the that's what the military is looking for, and uh, yeah. So uh, we try to analyze, you know, and, and make the most out of your practices, make the most out of what you're learning in, in the sport. And uh, when I transitioned over to martial arts, I have a black belt in judo, and I have a ninth degree black belt in sambo. Right. Yeah. Did I train in either one of those? No. I mean, you know. Yeah. My senior year, 
I was I wrestled the whole season. Yeah, I was, I was going for my third NCAA title, third or fifth, no, fifth and sixth NCAA titles as a senior. And the week before the NCAs, they did, they decided to declare me ineligible. Okay. Now, in today's rules, hell, I probably had eight years of wrestling. Today, you know, back then I didn't get, I didn't went to three NCAs, my freshman, sophomore, junior year, and I didn't go my senior year. That's another whole story. For that senior year, I, I had a roommate who was in judo, and uh, I said, "What's that?" You know, I knew what judo was all about, but I said, eh, "I've never tried that." He goes, "Come on down to practice." Yeah, what the hell? I'll go down. So on Monday, on Monday, the week of the NCAs and wrestling. I was in really good shape, obviously. I went through the whole season. Yeah. And uh, I went down and started playing a little bit with the judo and the jacket. And I realized on the first hour, uh, you don't go jacket the jacket with someone who's been doing it for four years or two right. years. <laughs> right. Uh, when they got the hold of my jacket, it was, God, let go of my damn clothes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, then trying to match throw for throw, I could throw them, they could throw me. But I, was able, I wasn't able to slip out of things like I could in wrestling. Normally, someone would do something. I right. I was a little slippery, and but in the jacket, yeah, you can slide out of the jacket really. You know, and I found my feet up in the air and all my back going, "What the? You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to kill somebody." And then I, how's this work? You know, well, you don't have to tie up with it. Well, you do have to tie up. You know, you have to let them get the jacket. But when the ref, referee says fight began, whatever the word is, I forget it anymore. Uh, you have to go in and close and, and tie up, but on the way in, you could shoot like in wrestling. Right. Before they grabbed me. I went. Yeah. And when I realized also during that week at the NCA or doing practice is they were absolutely first class horrible in the down position. Oh, at wrestling judo people have no clue what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. They spend all their time on their feet. Jiu-jitsu, they like to hit their back, spread their legs, you know, and get in the guard. Right. Judo's not comfortable with that. It well, they're not as comfortable as they are in jujitsu. Basically, judo guys, they spend all their time on their feet and they and they throw, they make all kinds of noise and then do some throws. And then I realized they were horrible down on the mat. And I went, Well, I can do this. So, you know, they say, you know, fight Chewy, whatever the hell it was, go get them. And I'd hit a single leg, double leg, fireman's carry, whatever. I'd take them down. And if I had a really good kid that was that stopped the shot, I'd figure, oh. well, the old Wild West, grab his collar, fall to your back, put your foot in his belly, and try to flip him over. Right. Yeah. You know? Now, did I get that? No. But what I got was him down on the mat on top of me. Now we're down where, all right, my game. That's and your world. I, my world. And I wouldn't let him back up. Now I had their jacket. They couldn't get up. So it's just what was a disadvantage when we're on our feet is now an advantage when I'm down on the mat. Get back down here. You're not standing up. Bullshit. <laughs> and then I'd reverse them and I'd hold them on their back for 30 seconds. But I'm going, this is you know, yeah. once you hang on to the jacket, they're not going anywhere. No. <laughs> I can hold them on their back 30 seconds without the jacket, with the jacket. Oh hell. <laughs> you know? Later you can say you can let them up now, wait. It was really easy. So you know, three days later, the coach says, hey, we're going to the Nationals this weekend, the NCAA championships. You want to go? What? Yeah. yeah, why not? So I went to the, I went to the wow. NCAA. I went to the NCAAs after having four days of practice. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm a white belt. I'm still figuring out how to 
figuring around <laughs> and figure it in a square knot and, you know, get it all right so it looks good. Yeah. I look like a total idiot. Yeah. You know? So I show up first, first round, second round, third round. I'm in this, I'm in the semis now. Wow. And, and I, I forget how many weight classes. I think there were about eight weight classes. I, I, I don't remember now. Well, let's say eight. So there were, there were 30, that'd be 32, eight, eight, 60, yeah. There'd be 32 kids in the semifinals. And so there was 31 black belts in me. Yeah. <laughs> but the belt probably tied all crazy. <laughs> I'm out there in a white belt. Before the match, they stopped me. They said, no, no, no. They called me over to the table and they gave me a black belt. <laughs> you know, so I, I earned a black belt through competition. You know, not through, not through years of experience. I right. think because they were embarrassed. They had 31 white belts or black belts out there. And this had this white belt kid who was kicking everyone's butt. You know. <laughs> But then I lost in the semis. That was bad. I, I was winning. I had, I was dominating. At least I thought I was. And one I didn't know is you weren't allowed to put your two hands on one side of the jacket. Okay, rule set. Okay, I didn't know that. So I, I had both sides, and he started going around on me, and I grabbed and pulled him back. And the referee didn't give me a warning; just threw me out. That's the bad, huh? Get uh, this guy out of here. Well, they were. I'm sure he was told to because it was an embarrassment to them. Yeah, you know yeah. That, that I was there, and then I then I I won the next one, took third, and you wow. know, But I, the guy that I got disqualified against, he won it. You know, I'd have walked through it, and uh, I was doing in the first couple of rounds. I was doing soup plays, belly to back. You know, a guy would stand up. I'm going, oh, because I know if you, you throw him over, the worst that will happen is I get a half point for that instead of a full point. Because, you know, a full point, you have to remain on your feet. Well, I, you know, to throw a back to play, you know, you don't end up staying on your feet. So, you know, I he'd stand up, I'd lock, and I, I'd arch and throw him right over the top of my head and drop him on his head, you know, oh, and play. And, uh, and I would get a half point. And I'd, then the guy would be stupid enough that he'd stand up again going, all right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I get it. In my math, two halves equal one. I win. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I found out later after I got back that uh, the rules committee decided to make that illegal. So I made the okay. super illegal in judo. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> yeah, you know. But anyhow, so I, I had fun. You know, that was my my black belt story and, and how I did so well in judo. <laughs> It's so interesting to me too, Wade, like going into that, the logic you went through with that. I think whether it's the same sport against sport or sport against a different sport, whatnot, combative, you going into like, let's take them to where my strengths at. Or even wrestling, when you're coaching wrestlers or when you were competing, isn't that like a major competition mindset? Let's get me to my strength here where I know all the ins and outs. I mean, do you kind of go into mindset as far as competition approach like that? Well, you know, yeah. That, and, and what I started with this conversation with, is exactly what I, I do all the time. I do it with my workplace. I do it in my marriage. I try to analyze skills. What's my wife good at? What am I good at? Uh, where can we maximize? And in judo, I realized right away that they weren't very good on the, in the down position. And they were very good in relation to my training or lack of training or experience uh, on my feet. So I said, well, where are we going to fight this at? So... Uh, and I'll, t- I'll parallel this over to wrestling. Yeah. Here's something that every coach in America seems to do. Now, I'm sure when I say when I say every, I'm talking about 90% or above. So there's there's always someone who's not doing it, but 
I haven't I haven't met him if I had if, if, okay. if they're out there. Second period, what you know, what position do you want? Well, almost always the coach will say, take down, because they want you to get out, get the one point, get back to your feet, where they've been in theory training you. And uh, you know, that's almost a universal thought process. If you win the toss of the coin or odd or even matches, and you know, it's your turn to make a decision in second, you look over to coach and the coach go, take down. You go, oh, okay. So you go down. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that'll work. But no one went through the thought process. You, you, it, wrestling is not, I don't know if it's really all that tough. It's just, you know, when I was growing up, I always said, why? Mom said, go do this. Why? Yeah. I didn't, I, I really didn't, I wasn't trying to be smart, but I, you know, like a smart ass, but I wanted to know why. If you'd answer the why, I could, oh, okay. Well, if you do that, you might get run over by the car. So don't run out between the car to get the ball. Okay. You know, oh, yeah. I, you know, I understand that, Mom. That makes sense. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for telling me why. Uh, but why do I always take bottom? Well, they want to get out. Well, you have to analyze in the second period, where's your strength? You know, if you had to list your three positions, standing, top, and bottom, what's your very best, Wade? For me on top. Mm-hmm. Takedowns were second. Bottom was third. Okay. No biggie. Mm-hmm. Oh, why the hell am I going to the bottom when that's my worst of the three positions? Yeah. Now, I, was, I was pretty good in all those positions, but let's just say, uh, you know, why do I want to take the last one? If if this kid was really good on his feet and I'm playing hell with him, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm neutralizing him at best, you know, I'm going, oh shit, what do I want to do the second period? I want to get on top of some bitch. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to ride him until his tongue hangs out. <laughs> you know, he ain't going nowhere. You know, I want my best position. So at the end of second period, we've wrestled two-thirds of the match, and he's tired now. So when he chooses neutral, because he's really good on his feet, or when he takes top, you know, he's tired, and now I have an opportunity. Because, you know, usually the guy on top has a chance to rest more than the guy on the bottom. So I'm, fr- I'm more fresh, fresher, more fresh, whatever, than he is. So, you know, now I'm in a good position because I took top, you know, uh, but the coach say, well, you know, if he gets out then you know, he took you down the first period. Then when he gets out, it's up three, nothing. And you're, he's back on his feet where he took you down. Well, where do you want to be there? Well, if he gets away from me, the match is over anyhow. Great point. Wow. You know, uh, so, you know, I want to take top. Now, if you are not very good on top and you can, you know, you're a little short guy and you only have that far to go to stand up and you're really good at explosion and cut, you know, sure. Take bottom. Interesting. But you have to analyze where are you best at? You know, if, you know, on a scale of one to 10, let's say uh, on the four, six and eight, four underneath, six on my feet, eight on top. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, now let me back up. I'll, I'll just go takedowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's a, uh, an eight, and let's say I'm an eight on my feet. Let's say I'm a four, six, and eight, and an eight is my takedowns. And he is a two, three, and nine, and he's a nine on his feet. Okay, I see. And I'm a four, six, and eight. Well, you know, logic would dictate I want to be on my feet all the time because I'm an eight. I'm a four and a six on the down and top. So I want to be on my feet. No, I don't. No, yeah, the nine there. No, I don't. He's a nine. I'm an eight. Yeah. You know, you analyze him and you say, okay, it, you know, but we've, without the analytical scenario, 
you just, I'm staying on my feet. No, automatic, why? Because that's why I'm, I'm, I'm an eight. I'm not a, I'm a six and a four in the top and bottom. Wow. Well, but sit down and analyze who you're wrestling. Okay. Now, on top and bottom, you're a four and a six. He's a two and a three. You're going to beat him underneath, and you're going to beat him on top. And you're going to get taken down on your feet. Yeah. But you think you should stay on your feet because you're an eight. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. No. Wow. So you, oh, it makes so much sense, though. It's so uh, it's, analytically it's, looking at it. It's analytical. It's two plus two. You know, it's still always five. I mean, four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you, you try to analyze where you should wrestle, where you're good at. And now when you're coaching, they let's say your favorite's a high crotch. Okay. Lead with your right hand in. Okay. Well, the coach has you, you know, well, you know, he's, he give you a right leg lead so you can come in with your right hand and, and get that high crotch real easy. But what if he has a left leg lead weight? Then you've got to do it on the other side. Yeah. So they had, you know, they take this logic and they split their, let's say I'm going to spend an hour today as a coach on takedowns. Johnny, you need an hour, 30 minutes on the left side, 30 minutes on the right side. Makes sense. Well, how good are you at the high crotch? 30 minutes worth. Whatever that is. Right. Okay. 30 on the left, 30 on the right. Okay. Well, what if that guy spends all his time and his hour on defense because he leads the right leg and he keeps that right leg forward and he works an hour on defense? Okay. Yeah. So now it's my 30, 30 minutes of offense on that one side versus his one hour defense on that side. So I'll never get it on him. Right. I'm, only I'm only 30 minutes good. And he's yeah. 60 minutes good. Yeah, it doesn't add up for you. Yeah, It doesn't work. So, But logically, the coach will think, when you, you know, it depends on which way he's standing. Well, yeah, coach, yeah, you're right. However, in order for me to learn how to take him from that right leg lead by grabbing his left elbow and pulling him around a little bit, I can get him to change his, just for a second now, it might only be a nanosecond, but I can get him to change his left leg lead to his right leg lead just for a second by circling and pulling on his arm. So when he takes that step, you better be in on that high crotch because now he spent an hour with a right leg lead. He spent zero time on the left leg lead because he doesn't lead his left leg. So he's horrible defensively on that left leg. He's going to kill you if you get in on his right leg. Yeah. So by pulling him around, you take, you still, you, you learn not to do left and right side. You learn to do the side you like, whatever that happens to be. Let's say, you know, going to my, going to his right. And then I learn how to, it's very simple, learn how to pull him around to get that right leg lead just for a nanosecond so I can get in on it. And now I'm taking his back leg, his defensive leg. I mean, the back leg is the one he's, he's hiding because he's not that good at it. Yeah. And I'm pulling it to the front. And when that happens, you better get in on it quick. You know, and now it's my best against his, you know, worst position. Uh, and so coaches are wrong by saying, well, you have to learn how to hit on the left side. You have to learn how to do it on the right side. No bullshit. Yeah. One way. And now if you do it on one side all the time and I have an hour each day at the end of the week, I've had five hours learning how to high crotch on that side. And there's a really, really good chance that him defensively all week long has not spent, you know, five hours defensively on that one leg. So it, it goes back to, for those on uh, who are in the wrestling community that are watching this, Jordan Burroughs. Now, Jordan oh, yeah. is, he just won the Worlds yesterday, again. 
He won more world championships than any wrestler in the history of the world, Russian or otherwise. Yeah. So we have to say he's probably pretty good. Yeah. And and Jordan is intelligent. He's a great spokesman. He's good looking. He's charismatic, and he can wrestle. Uh, but he only has one move: a double leg. Yeah. And if the double leg doesn't work, he does a double leg. And if that doesn't work, he does a double leg. You know, to look at him, he doesn't know anything else. Now, he does know a lot. Yeah. And he's capable. He's a world champion. I mean, an Olympic champion. He's not all that bad. But to watch him, he does a double leg, double leg, and double leg. And then he, when, when everybody gets tired of it, he does another double leg. Why? Because he's practiced that so many hours, so many days, so many months, weeks, years, that nobody defensively in the world can stop him. Wow, it makes so much sense. Yeah. And he's short. So when he comes in, it's like a locomotive coming at you. Woo! Woo! Here he comes. And so, you know, he spent all his time on that. And all the other kids have stopped the high crotch and then a double and a single and a duck under and a fireman's carry. So they're really good at a lot of things, but not great at stopping a double. Wow. And Jordan has carried that double leg to infinity and back, as, you know, <laughs> yeah. would say. Uh, a great, a great athlete. I analogize this again for those who are listening. This is where mother go. Oh yeah, that makes sense too. You walk into a wrestling room and it's like a big banquet room of food. Every food you think of fried this, steak that, pea pie, vegetables, you name it, it's in there. For Thai food, Italian, everything. And you have a plate and you haven't eaten for a couple of days. I'm hungry. Wayne's just a place. And you walk around and go, uh, I want, oh, I love that stuff. You put that on your plate. Eh, I'll come back if I have room for that. Uh, what the hell is that? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And you go around, and three, you know, you and I have done that. When we're done in 10 minutes of going around to the buffet, your plate is completely different than mine. Your taste buds are different. You have coconut cream. You know, I got key lime pie. You know, whatever. You're not yeah. wrong, right? I'm not wrong, right? That's just what you like. Yeah. And now, when you're done, this is your competitive plate. You have gotcha. a, a double leg, a stand-up, a cradle, you know, and a high crotch defense, whatever. And now this is what you're going to win or lose with. No more, no more. We're not going back to you have to eat this until you retire. <laughs> okay. From the Got it. You try everything. And sooner or later, you try 18 different pies and puddings and ice creams. And you go, I like this and I like that. Well, I hope you'll, you better like it because you're going to be eating it the rest of your life right. or the rest of your competitive life. And you put it on your plate and everything else you're not allowed to go back to. You want to focus in on what's on the plate and get really, really Jordan Burroughs good at the few things that are on that plate. Something from on top, something from the bottom, something defensively, you know, on something on your feet. Once you get that, now concentrate on that. Now, when you start to win, then you're going to get taken, you know, you may win the match today, eight to four. Mm-hmm. Well, how the hell did I lose the four? Well, I gave him two escapes, and that son of a gun got me on a throw-by on a, on a takedown. Okay, so now I, I, you know, I can add one more thing defensively to that plate. I've, I've got to learn how to stop that throw-by. Okay. So now I want to start expanding as I'm – you have to teach a kid how to win first. Got Not it. how to wrestle, how to win. And once he samples and tastes winning – he wants to win more. That's a sweet taste that's in your head. 
And while I'm stopping and going to a different subject, similar sure. subject, but again, a long coaching tip. Yeah. Um, when you're teaching, coaches, it's it's interesting. Coaches teach what they were successful at. Right. Yeah. As an athlete. If you get a heavyweight wrestler who I'm going to be smirch fat heavyweights. Now, we don't have very many fat ones anymore, but we used to have when they didn't have a, a, a weight limit. We used to have yeah. a lot of pretty big kids. Like, you know, I call them belly, they belly bounce. Oh, yeah. it, it was like sumo. They start belly bouncing and they get an arm drag or a duck under. They never leave their feet because rule number one of heavyweights. And this is not true with Kyle Snyder, you know, or some of our better wrestlers. But if you hit your knees as a heavyweight, you're going to lose. Yeah. I don't care what you do. Fireman's carry, double leg, single leg. If your knees touch the mat, you're going to lose the takedown. Yeah. You have no, because the other guy's big and these sprawls on you, and then <laughs> you can't. Yeah. Get yeah. Don't hit your knees wrong. Heavyweights, no. You get that athlete, you know, which we don't have a great many athletes at heavyweight because most of them are out for football. In, right. in America, we have a lot of great athletes that are lightweights, middleweights, upperweights. But, you know, if you look at how we've won internationally in wrestling, uh, we've had more gold medals in my weight class, Jordan Burroughs' weight class, than, than all the other weight classes combined. Wow. That middleweight is, is America's heartbeat for wrestling. You know, you Nate Card, uh, Dave Schultz, Lee Kemp, Wade Chalice. Jordan Burroughs, Kyle Dake, uh, you know, listed up and down the line, Bobby Douglas. I mean, uh, 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 who else do we have? Kenny Mundy. Uh, there were a bunch of them in there. They were yeah. great, great wrestlers. Uh, and so the bell curve for American wrestlers were internationally is, you know, the middleweights are the top of the bell curve for us. Uh, the lightweights, the, typically the Orientals would dominate. Not so much anymore because finances have caused a big difference in international wrestling. You know, the Japanese don't have the money necessarily that we have now to train. Oh, okay. not the case before. Uh, so the Orientals, you know, the Koreans, the Japanese, it, Southeast Asia, uh, they're, those lightweights, you know, in America, you don't have, a, a you know, too many five, two, five foot two, you know, 115 pounders. You know, right. typically they're, you know, Five eight to six foot, one hundred and seventy pounds is is, right is the average male in America. And then we have a lot in the upper weights too in America. But then baseball, money sport, basketball, money sport, football, money sport, have siphoned away the great athletes. Interesting. So yeah. what's left up there? We, you know, I don't hope I don't get too many poison pen letters, but we percentage wise, we don't have as many great athletes in the upper weights as we do in the middle weights, just because they got siphoned off from the other three. Money. Makes so much sense. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, football, you know, versus wrestling. Uh, why did you go to football versus wrestling? Well, because football pays a lot more to hurt. Right. Yeah. yeah. And wrestling does. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> why do I want to do that? So you'll find that over there. Now that's not true. You get your Gable Stevenson. That's you know recently for us, he was you know he's he could do anything he wanted to in football. You know he could be he'll be an all pro. Uh, Carlton Hasselrig in the eighties when he mm -hmm. football from wrestling, who was an athlete, like just I think they were the two best heavyweights we've ever had, Gable Stevenson and uh, Carlton Hasselrig. I'd love to see, but never see it. You know, yeah. magical matchup. Of yeah. those. But you know, Carlton, you know he he didn't he didn't play football. In college, at all, he was a six-time NCAA champ. Never oh. played. 
got drafted by the Steelers that year. He was all pro. Man, as, as a rookie in at the Steelers, he was all pro his first year and didn't have you know did played football in high school, but didn't play it in college and went it was all pro right away. But, but you know, a great athlete could move over. Uh, For we, sure, the wrestlers who did go to pro football did really well. Were on you know major football teams. There were a lot of great wrestlers that moved over to football and did very well. Pros, you know, uh, Super Bowl champions and so on. But I love the way you teach, like your approach to it, like uh, your concept of when you do pin, you know, how to tack on more weight. Almost like if you have like a barbell and you're just tacking on. Like you right, I think you mentioned it in the past in some like legal pain uh, uh, videos and stuff. Like I, if I could stand on this guy, I would. So. Uh, <laughs> you kind of going, uh, yeah, your coaching concepts and training concept for guys about just adding more weight on and overall outlook on how to approach training. Yeah, I can go there. Yeah. The uh, pinning is just a matter of getting weight on him. And you sit down and analyze, you know, when I'm at the clinic, and I think you mentioned it, I'll have a guy lay on his back and I'll stand on his chest. Yeah. And everybody's laughing, going, what the hell are you doing? I said, now this is what you want when you get on top of the guy. If I'm standing here and I am standing with my legs spread about two feet apart and I'm just standing there and let's say I weigh 200 pounds, I have 100 pounds on my left foot. I have 100 pounds on my right foot. Duh. And then I pick up one of my legs and I'm standing like a stork on one leg. And I say, okay, how much weight do I have on that foot? And then someone goes, oh, 100. They go, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's always one. It's always one. They can't take it out. You know, it's like, that's a tough question. And then we saw 200 pounds. Great. Now, okay, I'm going to bend over from the standing position. I'm going to put two hands down on the mat, and I'm standing on my feet. How much weight do I have on each one of the four appendages that are touching the mat? And they'll say four divided by 200 divided by yeah. uh, 50 pounds. That a boy, 50 pounds. You got it. And then I'll take, I'll pick up one hand. So I have one hand down and two feet. How much weight do I have on my feet and my hand? Now that baffles some people. Uh, 66.6666 pounds on each one of the three points. Okay. So the, the point that I'm making is every time you put something on the mat, weight gets distributed into the mat at that location. So if I put three things points down, then I'm, then I'm a 66 pound wrestler. Oh, if I have two things down, I'm a hundred pound wrestler. If I have one thing down, I'm a 200 pound wrestler. So as the number of points that I've touched the mat with decreases or increases my weight. So when I lay on top of you, no matter how you position yourself on top of the guy, typically the top kid is on his knees. His knees are touching, his feet are touching, and at least one of his elbows is touching the mat when he has hold of him. Okay, how much weight do you have on it? Well, 200. No, hell no, screw no. Okay, I have an elbow down, I have two knees down, and I have my body on his chest. So how many points do I have down? Elbow one, chest two, knee three, knee four. I have four points down, so I have 50 pounds on him. And I'll usually find somebody in, in the, you know, in, in the group, like a little kid's there with his dad. He's how much you weigh? 62 pounds. Okay, come out here. Now, if he was going to jump on top of here, the pit bottom guy, do you think he'd have any chance of getting off the bottom? He's a 200-pound wrestler, and he's got this 60-pound little kid, five-year-old, on top of him. Everybody go, no. Well, that's exactly what you're doing, stupid. <laughs> when you put your elbow down, you put your knees down, you, you become him. 
Yeah. And you wonder why the guy got off his back. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're on top of a guy, now you can't help but have your toes on the mat. You have to have your toes on the mat. You can't levitate them in the air. But they are so far back away from your opponent. It's really not 50 pounds, 50, you know, it's probably 10. Your feet, your toes are probably 10, 15 pounds each. So you got maybe 30 pounds back there on your feet, way back away from you. Now, if you get chest on chest, which I'll talk about in a second, mm -hmm. and you get your elbow off the mat, put your elbow on his, on his midsection, in his belly, and dig your elbow in his stomach. <laughs> okay, and then you pick his head up with your other arm, or that you have him by the jacket or whatever, or a headlock. But don't put your elbows in the mat. Don't if you're in a headlock. Everybody knows what a headlock is. Whether it's you know martial arts or grappling or wrestling. You're you, typically you're sitting there and you have a good grip with the head. Well, you're sitting on your ass. Okay. So your ass is your ass is probably at least half your weight touching the mat. That weight should be on him, not on the mat. Wow, All you have to do is I say the mat is a griddle and your two buns, yeah. buns yeah. that you eat. So don't burn your buns on the griddle. Get your <laughs> buns off the griddle because you're burning them. It's hot down here. Oh, 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 oh. Pretend it's hot. Get your ass up. Yeah. As soon as you pick your butt up, all your weight shifts to your chest onto him. Wow. So now instead of 100 pounds on his chest, 100 on your butt in the mat, now as soon as you pick your butt up, that weight transfers to his chest. So now – you you moved your your butt instead of you being a hundred pound wrestler, you're now a two hundred pound wrestler. Now they don't get off the back, and then you may may in wrestling you may pin them, you may not pin them, but they're not going anywhere. Right, right. Ah. And so you analyze, you know where your weight is. Now, if let's go back to standing on top of the guy. Yeah. If I'm standing on him on his chest, you know that stupid look. Yeah, and I say, uh, give me your left hand and your right foot. And he reaches up and gives me his left hand and, and he picks up his left leg, right leg and gives it to me. I grab his ankle, I grab his wrist, and I start pulling up, which then pushes my feet down. If I pull my left hand up for 25 pounds worth, like I'm doing a curl, and I pull the leg up 25 pounds worth, how much weight do I have on his chest now? 200? Yeah. No, 250. Wow. Wow. Because as I pick that arm up 25 pounds worth, that pushes my feet down 25 pounds. I pull the leg up 25 pounds, it pulls, pushes my feet down 25 pounds. So I now weigh 250 by pulling up. Wow. So the harder you pull up, the more weight you're pushing down. So when I pin people, that will come off the mat used to and go, coach, I weighed in next to him. He weighed 160 like I did, but he felt like a damn heavyweight when he was on. I couldn't move. <laughs> Why? Because I was a heavyweight. Because I got off my knees, I pulled up 100 pounds, which pushed down an extra 100 on top of my 160. Now I weigh 260. You know, so he thinks he was wrestling a heavyweight, and he was. Wow. In that scenario. So I love that. I love that. I, I I use that to this day of all my guys, but I love the way you word it, the mind, the mindset that goes into it. You know, you know, you should be thinking. You should be analyzed, analytically going, approaching this. Now, when a guy's on his back, what's the number one way in wrestling anyhow of getting off your back? 
If you're going to get off your back, how do you get off your back? Do, do, do. Bridge. Do, do, do. Okay, bridge and roll or turn. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> they get out of bounds. They scoop. They slide. Oh, okay. Because if you're within four feet of the out of bounds, if you if you can draw another circle inside the wrestling circle, Mm-hmm. And you came in four feet from the out of bounds and drew another line in a circle. The amount of square footage of mat in that four foot area, the whole way around the circle, is 70% of the mat. Oh. So when you're on your back, you have a 70% chance of being within four feet of out of bounds. And once you scoot out of bounds, ref goes, oh, no, out of bounds, start over again. Now, judo, they stay, tell you to freeze, they drag your ass back in yeah. Yeah. and stay in that same position, which I heard that, that when I was at tracks that first week in judo, I went, really? I get to drag me back and I get to, I get to readjust on the way in? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a piece of cake. You know, he's not going anywhere now. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so get out of bounds, you have to stop. And when if you're laying on your back, and you have to scoot out of bounds. How many directions could you go to your left? Could you go to your right? Could you go to your down? Could you go? Which way do you go to get out of bounds? There's only one way you can go. Easier to go north, right? Yeah, towards your head. Yeah, wherever yeah. your head's pointing, that's where you're going to go. It's, 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 yeah. So we teach to get to a right angle when you're pinning. Oh. But his okay. head's up here, and he's going that direction. So I'm over here. I have a hell of a time stopping him from going that direction when I'm over here. Now, if I'm over here, he can't go that way, but he can still go that way. And that's the way he wants to go. Wow. Okay. So you, <laughs> so when you have a guy on his back, cradle, headlock, bar arm, chicken wing, Nelson, I don't give a shit what it is. When you're pinning a guy, you want to have one of your legs at 12 o'clock. I, I use, I tell him the starter circle in wrestling, guys, picture this as a clock. Yes. And Johnny lay down in the middle. So Johnny lays down in the middle. 12 o'clock is right there where his head's pointing. Now, Johnny, slide a little bit. Turn. Okay, where's 12 o'clock now? It's over there where his head's pointing. So as his, wherever he goes, the clock turns with Johnny. The bottom guy, the clock goes wherever his head goes. So it's not here's 12 o'clock, and then he goes this way. Now he's pointing at 3. No, he's pointing at 12 again. So no matter where he is, it, where he is his head's pointing at 12. So you always have a 12 o'clock leg. So regardless of where, if he's here, this is him and this is his head. You want to have you want to have one of your feet up here at his out coming out the top of his head. So so he cannot scoot that he cannot drive through your leg to go that direction to get out of bounds. Man, you stopped all scooting. You stopped the number one way that a wrestler gets off his back. Now he's now there's three ways of getting off your back. That's one way. Okay, we slap the mat. It's over. You get off your back. Yeah. Two, you know, he scoots out of bounds. And number three, he's got to fight like hell just to fight off his back. Okay. And now, you know, so I, you know, now I know of three ways he's going to attack. Two of them are automatically gone. So there's yeah. only one thing he's got, he can possibly do, and it's going to be fight. So it's my fight to hold him there and his fight to get off his back. So I eliminate one of his, you know, his main source of getting out of bounds. And I take this clock principle in all down wrestling. It would be jujitsu, karate, you name it. It's the same thing. And I would use it in any of the sports, any of the martial arts. Oh, by the way, martial arts, the belt series, 
Now you do know wrestling. Wrestling started the belt concept. Oh, going to that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that thoroughly, and I'm sure people listening don't either. Yeah, please go into that. So I wish wrestling would go back to belts. If you go into Egypt, back to the, the pyramids, and you go back to the pyramid of Ben Hazin, uh, back in the 1400s, I think it was, or maybe even further back, they were you know, etched into the walls, pictures of wrestlers wrestling nude, but they'd have belts on. And the belts were designed not for rank, but to determine who they should bet on. Oh. You get two nude guys, you can't say, I'll take the guy who's a little more yeah. hung, better hung than the other guy. No, they just say, I'll take him and I'll take him. You know, and then at the end, they'd have a fight because whoever won, no, I, that's who I, I pointed to. I, I thought he was going to win. Well, no, that's, that's who, you know. Interesting. Lose. So what they did is they put a black belt and a white belt on. So now you oh. you bet by the black or white belt. And uh, Interesting. So that was a way of belting. So wrestlers had the belts first. In 18, 1824, I think it was, jiu-jitsu started belts. Uh, just having a belt and, and only to hold your pants up. Right. <laughs> they were not colors. Uh, 20 years later, the jiu-jitsu marketplace, or judo marketplace, took the same belts and created colors. And you know, then they became ranks, you know, white, green, brown, so on, so on. Up, through, up through, what, 12 degrees of black, something like that. But it used to be why the, the ultimate belt in the martial arts is black versus red versus blue, very green, so on, is this. When you first started way back when, you know, hundreds of years ago, everyone got a white belt because they didn't have, it was really hard to have paint. No one had clothing. It was red and purple and green. Right. You know, it was just, you know, white, basically cotton. And, and it would held your pants up, you know, basically. And the more times that you fought and wrestled and played and practiced, uh, with your belt on, you would roll around, you get sweaty, and the belt would get wet, you'd be on the ground, and eventually it would go from white to dirty to dirtier to dirtiest to black. So, you know, the more experienced the guy was, the more time he had practicing, the darker the belt was. So you just automatically gave him respect because he had a darker belt than you had because he had more practice time in and more years, and they didn't have a Maytag back then or tied. All right. You know, yeah. there was no washing machine. Yeah. You know, so it was just a darker soiled belt. So that you got more respect by having a dark colored belt than you had when you were white. Wow. And uh, so that's how the white versus, the, you know, white being a beginner, the black being the, the ultimate. And then the judo people said, well, how about, you know, we have different layers in there. So, you know, first first class, second class, third class, you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced. So then they came up with, came up with the colors. And then wrestling had discontinued by that point you know, having clothes that really, they went back to going no clothes. And the martial arts were great stewards of the belts, you know, since right. that time. And it's it makes it makes a lot of sense in what they've done. Wrestling back then, first couple Olympians, what they did is they, they would wrestle in a big sand pit. You know, they'd mark it off. It'd be, a you know, like, say, a 30 by 30 foot sand pit, like just a big sandbox. And then they'd grease up, they'd pour oil, olive oil, being in Greece, they had enough right. laying around somewhere. <laughs> they grease you up, so you're dripping in, in oil. So it was hard oh, to die. And the match would end when someone had sand stuck to the two shoulder blades. Oh, interesting. So okay. You groan. I wasn't pinned. Well, wait a minute, stop. Turn around. No, no, he only had sand on one shoulder blade. No, he wasn't pinned. When you had <laughs> sand was stuck on both shoulder blades, your shoulders were down. 
And that's wow. how they the winner. And there was no back then. It was, I mean, you'd lose your life if you got caught cheating by picking up a handful of sand and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and sprinkling on his back. You know, yeah. you would lose your life doing that. They would, they would kill you. You know, yeah. that sportsman like they were, they were serious about that. Back Damn, then. play around, yeah. I that's think, amazing, I, though. I, lo I love the history of it, though. I mean, when I started researching the history into just graphing, and go, okay, oldest thing I can think of is in ancient Greece. They had reliefs and things like that from ancient Egypt and I believe like it was a Babylon or whatever. So there's even more ancient stuff, as you mentioned. So when you go to a really high-end restaurant, a waiter will come over with a scythe. It's pronounced scythe. It's a little metal. looks like it took a pipe, and they cut it lengthwise. It's about that long, and he scrapes the crumbs off your table. Have you ever set oh, okay. the table? You yeah. see him get the crumbs off the table. That came from wrestling in the ancient grains because they would use that to scrape the oil and the sand off your body at the end of the match, you know? And wow. then they use, they use that very same implement <laughs> today in the Michelin star restaurants, you know, to pick up the crumbs. <laughs> but anyhow, I thought I'd just put that in. So, that's so, so interesting. Well, interesting how also like wrestling, not only is it combative and things like that, but how it actually has affect multiple societies throughout history. We're not sure whether wrestling was the very, very first sport in the world, because there's no mention of it, whether Eve ran first or didn't. Okay. Yeah. So it was wrestling first or track. Yeah. <laughs> it's like chicken in the egg. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, was Eve, you know, did she stay, stay still or did she run first? <laughs> so wrestling's either first or second oldest sport. Well, watch out a high jump, man. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with Wade Chalice. Tune in next week for part two. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.